How's it going? You are listening to Mindful Mostly. Yeah, this is a lifestyle and wellness show for those of us who are mindful most of the time, not all the time. I'm Andrea Collins. We are coming up to the very busy holiday season, and I have a question for you. What is your relationship with alcohol? Now, you're probably planning on having some drinks over the holiday season. And are, are you are you already kind of thinking about 2019 and, and January? You might, you might have sober January because you're like, oh, man, I'm really going to need to detox. And it's interesting because I'm thinking that way. But like, why? Why don't we just maybe drink less or not drink at all? This is part of the conversation that we're having today, which let's say you're like, Andrea, no freaking way. I love booze. <laughs> you have to pry it out of my cold, dead, boozy little hands. That's okay. But Ruby Warrington is here today to sort of maybe help you rethink that a little bit. I know, she's actually such a big deal. Have you heard of the website magazine, The Numinous? It's like a deep dive into astrology and uh, spiritual living. That's Ruby. Have you heard of the best-selling book, Material Girl, Mystical World? Also Ruby. And now she has this book coming out called Sober Curious that is all about what I was just talking about. And today on the show, she is here. We're going to talk about questioning the way that you drink. The new sobriety movement, because that's a thing. Also uh, examining just our dependency on booze. She's going to open up the conversation when it comes to consumption. Um, she's going to talk about the spiritual benefits of living alcohol-free. And then, of course, she's friends with Gabrielle Bernstein. So I want to know, like, what do they talk about? Like, what do they do when they hang out? <laughs> so we're going to get to all of that. But first, a couple things to note. This is the last normal episode of 2018, but by the end of the week, I'm going to have for you a special season wrap-up episode. We are going to touch base with Alex King. Remember Alex King? She is a longtime listener of Mindful Mostly who decided to sell all of her possessions and move to Hawaii. That was where we left off with her when we talked to her probably like 10 episodes again. It was near the beginning of this season. And, um, well, I want to know what's going on now because she took a huge leap of faith, which I know a lot of you guys are doing. There's a lot of changes that you're considering uh, taking in 2019, or maybe you've um, you've had some big change in your life. I think it's good to hear from someone like Alex to hear what it was like, because she took a really big, scary leap. And let's see if she's reaping the rewards or living on a box on the beach in Hawaii, which is probably still pretty nice. Okay, before we get to Ruby Warrington, also, the High Vibe Five, I would like this to be your spiritual Christmas gift. Yeah. All you got to do is leave a review of the Mindful Mostly podcast on iTunes, take a screenshot of it, and email it to me at andrea at mindfulmostly.com, and I will send you back the High Vibe 5. We're at 99 reviews so far, so who's going to crack that 100? Hey, one thing to, to, to note as well is that after my conversation with Ruby, I'm going to have the top five most mindful Christmas gifts you can get this year. All right, let's do this.
I've been reading Sober Curious, and um, I think it was exactly what I was looking for. Can you describe what sort of person this book would be for or what stage someone might be in when they would read this book? Well, first of all, I'm so happy that it resonates with you. You know, I, I, I've been almost like nervous to put this book out into the world because part of me was like, am I the only one who feels this way about alcohol? Is everyone just like happy with their wine, doing their thing, and they're going to be like, go away and leave us alone? But actually, the more conversations I'm having about this idea of being sober curious, um, the more I'm realizing that actually a lot of people like myself, like you, have been asking a lot of questions around our alcohol consumption. And so the book is, yeah, it's about kind of really choosing to get curious about and to question the ways that we drink and the way that society kind of teaches us to think about drinking and the fact that alcohol is so interwoven into our lives that it's not considered out of the ordinary to be using a very toxic, mind-altering, psychoactive substance on a weekly or maybe even daily basis that's like completely normalized. And it's about choosing to really kind of step outside of that construct and go, whoa, hold on. Why am I, why am I doing this? Why are we all doing this without questioning it? So for who is it for? Anyone, I guess, who has maybe found themselves internally asking some of those questions like, why do I drink? Even though I know it makes me feel really bad the next day, why do I still think it's worth it for a few hours of a buzz, you know, that I probably then can't even remember? How is this really impacting my health? Particularly, you know, in in relation to the kind of bigger wellness conversation, hold on, I'm investing all of this time, money, and energy in all of these practices and, and wellness modalities to feel better about myself and my life. And then I go cancel it all out on Friday night over a couple of bowls of wine does that even make sense? So I guess, yeah, it's for anybody who's found themselves asking those questions and is not really finding anywhere to A, get the answers or B, even like have the conversation out loud. Mm -hmm. There's so much stigma attached as well. When we say we're no longer going to be drinking, a lot of the time people assume, oh, why do you have a problem? Are you an AA? Are you an alcoholic? And it's not necessarily any of those things, you know? Um, but yet there is a lot of stigma still attached to kind of speaking up and and asking those questions out loud. Mm-hmm. So it's for anybody, yeah, who's who's questioning, looking for answers, looking for community, um, and looking to feel less like they're the only one. Well, yeah, and you know, one thing I love in the book is that you're not anti-alcohol. So anybody listening who's thinking like, what? But I love, you know, my vodka martini. You're not anti-alcohol. You're more um, rethinking our dependency on alcohol. And then in turn, you might just drink less. Reading this myself, I realized there's, there's two things that I use alcohol for. One is definitely socially. And so maybe, you know, when I think about it, maybe there's a little bit of social anxiety there that I medicate with with alcohol. And then the other thing is I would use alcohol sometimes as an excuse to eat badly, like almost binge, because otherwise if I didn't have that lubricant, I would feel major guilt about ordering the you know, the nachos or the pizza. But once <laughs> I drink, it's like I'm I'm like cool with it, you know? And so maybe that's another thing to address. So I think when we start thinking about why we use alcohol in certain times, we start to identify some dependences we have in other areas of our life. 
I love those examples that you gave. First of all, the social anxiety one is, I think, probably the number one reason why a lot of people drink is to feel more relaxed or comfortable in social situations. And I, there are a couple of things that have really come up for me around that. One is, why are you socializing in ways that make you feel nervous and anxious? Like, maybe hang out with some different people or <laughs> don't go to those kinds of events. Um, those are just some suggestions which may be easier to implement than for some people than others, understandably. Um, and the other thing is, I think that actually a lot of our social anxiety come when we, when we consider like not having a drink in certain situations and that can bring up anxiety for us. I think if we're so used to from say, you know, college age, when a lot of people really learn that drinking and socializing go hand in hand, if you've been kind of teaching your brain since age 19, 20, that you need to have a drink in order to be, to have fun, socializing. That's a lot of kind of neural programming to begin to rewire by making a different choice. And I think that a lot of the times when we feel anxious about socializing without alcohol, it's literally our brain and our programming just freaking out going, but I drink in these situations. I drink. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and once you kind of override that and just go do the social thing without a drink. You kind of prove to yourself each time that you do that, well, actually, no, I don't need a drink at all. I don't need a drink. I'm fine in this situation without a drink. And slowly that anxiety begins to ebb away. Hmm. And I love what you said about the food thing. I think that's absolutely, absolutely a big part of it. It's kind of like, it's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm quite a perfectionist, right? And a lot of people who develop um, dependencies on alcohol, whether you call it an addiction or if it's just kind of a really ingrained habitual drinking pattern, would also identify as perfectionists. And I think a lot of the time we drink as a way to kind of switch off that part of our brain that's monitoring our behavior and kind of like let ourselves off the hook to kind of Definitely. behave quote unquote badly, you know? Yeah. And eating badly, again, is one of those things. How about you just you just use that to acknowledge sometimes I really enjoy nachos and that's okay <laughs> and I'm going to have them sometimes and just kind of like granting yourself that permission to like of course you want to eat that of course you want that pleasurable food experience so just allow yourself to have it let yourself off the hook without having to like disable part of your brain to go there, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, there's a, there's a chapter in the book where I talk about other ways to kind of get high on my own supply. And in that I talk about deliciousness, pleasure, you know, being something that we're taught is somehow bad or that we should deny ourselves. And I think a lot of the time, yeah, we can use alcohol as a way to, to override that conditioning and allow ourselves a pleasurable foodie experience. Mm -hmm. um, which might go against what we've been told is like good for us or allowed, you know? Mm -hmm. So a lot of my, I mean, when I first, when I first really started stepping away from alcohol, I noticed how bad my sugar cravings got. A lot of my alcohol cravings were actually sugar cravings. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to eat all the ice cream. I am definitely ordering dessert. And it helped to kind of rewire my own, the own rigid rules I had around indulging in those things. And now I, I actually have less sort of, um, less fear, I suppose, or, or yeah, less rules in general about what I'm allowed to eat when, mm -hmm. which is just very liberating on every level. One thing that's so like, it, it maybe for some people, it's like, stop drinking. Okay, sure. No problem. I'll stop drinking. You know, some people don't um, have as much of a dependency on alcohol or they, they haven't like created a habit around it. Um, 
and I know with myself, like there's there's almost ways times in which I can't help myself. And I know this is a lot of the same for a lot of people. Like I was, uh, you know, I ca- I can't count how many trips I've been on where on the Friday night you go hard and then on the Saturday you feel like shit and you're supposed to be like on vacation exploring a city but you're like oh my god I'm so hungover you know and you go (laughs) what's that all worth right what we know that this is how we can feel the next day so why why do we do it to ourselves well, this, you know, there are certain, like I said, we can develop very, if we're used to drinking in certain situations, vacations being such a big one, mm-hmm. like I would say for the majority of people, the idea of not drinking on vacation, you'd be like, what? Because <laughs> it's just so habitual. It can take a real, it can take a lot of effort to go against that programming, even though if in our logic mind, we know we don't want to be feeling hungover the next day. It can, if, if we're used to doing it on autopilot, um, then our subconscious will override that and we can wind up the next day going, what happened? What did I do? And I talk about meditation as being an amazing tool for kind of learning how to put a space between that kind of subconscious urge or instinct to drink and the actual conscious choice that you want to make. Um, having a regular meditation practice, I'm sure it's something you speak about on the show but really is such a, an amazing and powerful tool for being able to get a jump on that kind of subconscious programming and begin to make a different choice. And it might take a while. It might take months. It might take years to really, to really you know, reverse that programming. But it's definitely possible. And it's kind of like every single time you make a different choice and you remind yourself or you prove to, your, to yourself, I didn't need a drink to have a great time oh, I actually prefer waking up feeling non-hungover than going out getting drunk the night before. Like the the buzz of waking up feeling great is actually more valuable to me than whatever buzz I might have got from a couple of margaritas the night before, you know. Um, And you start to really kind of appreciate and notice what feels genuinely good to you, what feels genuinely relaxing to you is often not drinking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to hang out with my pregnant friends for a while and (laughs) just get get comfortable with it all. And I talk about that, you know, for a lot of, for a lot of women, I, I, I haven't had children myself. I've never been pregnant, but I've had a lot of pregnant friends who've kind of messaged me knowing that I'm doing the sober curious thing going, Hey, I I haven't been drinking and I actually feel amazing. I don't know if I'm going to go back to it. Um, and then on the flip side, I've had other pregnant friends who are really like, wow, the not drinking piece is so, so difficult. Wow. Um, maybe I'm a little bit more dependent on alcohol than I thought I was, you know, and that can actually be having an enforced break of nine months can be a, a wake up call for people also. Yeah, for sure. Do you, so do you think that there's a new sobriety movement? I ask this because one, you're, you've got this book coming out Two, um, I'm pretty sure it's like the Kardashians that don't drink. Like there's big celebrities who are in the public eye who are just like not into drinking for no reason other than the fact that they just don't really like it. And I had read an article saying that same for young people now, like my generation, we all grew up like you go to a concert, you have a beer in your hand at all times. It's just like the way it is. But now Mm. I'm hearing that um, some younger people aren't as into alcohol as maybe their parents would have been. 
Yeah, absolutely. This is definitely, definitely a trend. Um, yes, the Kardashians talk about it. Plenty of other celebrities like Lucy Hale recently came out as sober. Florence Welch is now sober. Lots and lots of lots and lots of kind of younger. And they're um, not sober. Quiet, not drinking. Are they sober in the sense that like they had a problem with alcohol and got sober or it was just because they wanted to be live more of a, a conscious life? I think it's a mix. Like with Lucy Hale, for example, I read a quote where she was like, I just decided one day that I didn't need to do this to fit in. Like the only reason I was drinking was to fit in. I wasn't enjoying it. And I decided I, I'm happy being me and I don't need to fit in anymore. And I think that kind of messaging really goes hand in hand with a movement among younger, younger generations to really be okay with like choosing their own path in life, feeling empowered to be like, it's okay to just be me and I don't have to alter myself to fit in. And I think that's definitely part of it. I mean, it's also, you know, it's no secret that we're living through times of quite unsettling change on many different levels. And there's a lot of uncertainty about our future. And I think that for younger generations who never really got into the habit of drinking, the fact that alcohol can be, can exacerbate our anxiety. Like it may, it may appear to kind of like lessen our anxiety for a few hours while we're actually drunk, but that's largely because it's just like, made us unconscious. <laughs> the 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 spike in anxiety that we can feel the next day is just, I think, very, very apparent to um generations who are who are grappling with a lot of kind of like bigger issues, I guess. Um and so yeah, I do definitely think there's a, a movement towards just kind of a more open conversation around sobriety and a much more conscious um, consumption of alcohol if and when people are choosing to imbibe. Have you had any pushback? Because I think that if there was an alcoholic and they were listening to this and they're just like, look, I just can't drink because I know mm -hmm. I can't stop. I can't help myself. Um, what do you hear from those people? I was actually really, when I first started the Club Soda event series in New York, which is a sober curious event series I launched about two and a half years ago, I was very nervous about saying any of this stuff in public because I'm a, I have a lot of friends who are in recovery, a lot of friends who are in AA, and I know that there's a very necessarily very black and white approach to recovering from alcohol addiction that requires total abstinence. And I was very nervous about saying anything that might inadvertently um, be triggering or seem like it was a dangerous conversation for people. But I was, but, but those kind of fears were overridden by my, my genuine belief that there needs to be a more broader, more inclusive conversation about addiction even, and about how that might look, how that might kind of express in varying shades of gray for different parts of the population. And honestly, I haven't really had that much pushback. There's been like a cut like literally maybe one or two questions sort of saying you know this is actually quite dangerous you can't be talking about it in these more flexible terms um to which I always just reply well for me as somebody who doesn't identify as an alcoholic but definitely has benefited from being able to have an open conversation about my relationship with alcohol I think there are many many people who are who need for this conversation to be to be broadened out um, and I also am very, you know, I'm throughout the book, Sober Curious, I am reminding readers, hey, if this is feeling problematic for you, if this is, if this, if these questions are actually leading you to think, well, maybe I do have a more of a, a deeper problem. Maybe I am an alcoholic. You have nothing to lose by going to AA. In fact, please go to AA. It's an amazing organization that offers free 
global peer-to-peer support unlike in any other area of life. So please go and check it out. Um, and I'm just very wary to always say, you know, this is this is not a recovery program. This is my my events, my book are not places to come if you want to, if you are recovering from an addiction to alcohol. This is more, um, yeah, it's just like I said, broadening the conversation out to include people who may fall anywhere on that kind of spectrum of alcohol dependency, let's say. Right. And, you know, it's funny, I was just away for work and I uh, I was reading your book while I was flying and while I was around the pool and whatever at my hotel. And I was amazed at um, the people that would see me reading it and it would spark a conversation. And so many people that at least I was speaking to felt the same way. Um, how, uh, how do you feel like you've spiritually benefited from not drinking? Oh, <laughs> that's a really big question and one of my favorites. <laughs> um, so there's actually a whole chapter on spirits and spirituality. And it was really um, embarking on, I guess, the path towards my own sort of spiritual awakening several years ago that really kind of amped up my own sober curiosity. Um, I began to realize as I brought practices like yoga, meditation, I'm a big fan of astrology, these sorts of things into my life as I experienced and opened myself up to energy healing work, shamanic healing work, um, all these different practices, which I say are in service of helping me forge a deeper connection to my spirit, my sense of aliveness, you know, my soul, I suppose. Um, it was bringing all these practices into my life that actually really began to shine a very harsh light on the overall negative impact that alcohol was having on me. It was almost like through finding ways to connect to my spirit, I realized that I'd actually been looking to spirits or to alcohol for all of the things I was now experiencing. So I used to drink because I wanted to feel more relaxed more joyful, happier, maybe more inspired, more connected to my friends. And actually through finding ways to connect to my spirit, I was experiencing all of those things in my life, but without the inevitable payoff, like without the hangover, without the feeling bad on the other side. Um, And so that it really kind of like kicked into high gear my desire to experiment with removing alcohol from my life. Mm -hmm. So how have I benefited spiritually? I think that drinking alcohol and seeking all of those those spiritual benefits in alcoholic spirits <laughs> was ultimately um, preventing me from making a really true and deep connection to my own spirit. So the two things for me really go hand in hand. Um, I mean, at AA, you know, one of the first things that you're asked is to really trust and hand over your autonomy to a higher power. Whereas for me, it was almost like the other way around. It was connecting to something like a higher power that made me realize I no longer needed alcohol um, in my life. So yeah, they definitely there. It's a pretty big subject. Um, and they definitely go hand in hand. I think that this sober curious conversation is really, I mean, we can think about things like exercise and diet um, and even meditation to an extent as more the kind of physical and mental aspects of wellness or well-being. And this sober curious conversation obviously has an impact on the physical, but a much deeper and more profound impact on the emotional, spiritual, 
piece of our overall well-being. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I absolutely love the conversation in the book. Sober Curious. I highly recommend it. Same for your other book, um, Material Girl, Mystical World. That one's more about your foray into the spiritual world. Is that right? <laughs> it is. Yes. It's about, um, well, the journey I almost just described. It's kind of, you know, the transformation I really experienced in my life through embracing all of these kind of mystical healing practices. Um, now I have three random questions for you before we wrap up. Mm-hmm. One of them is, um, what's a day in the life of Ruby Warrington like? Hmm. A lot of creating actually. I, um, I spend, I get up at about six and I do meditate and everything in it to get, to get into the day. Um, make some breakfast for my husband and then I'm straight onto my my laptop and I always reserve at least the first four hours every day for any kind of creative writing work I have to do and that could be anything from book writing to articles for my website to social media posts um and then from there I try to yeah I try to have some meaningful connections every day you know set up meetings with people who I care about and inspired by whether they're work meetings or friend dates um, and then my evenings are generally pretty, pretty quiet. I, def- I, I do go out, out less now that I'm sober curious, but that's who I am. I'm actually naturally quite introverted and shy and I love to read books and I love to do crossword puzzles and I love to snuggle with my husband and my cat on the sofa. And so my evenings are generally pretty, pretty chill. That sounds nice. Can we come snuggle? <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, what do you think of this one's a, a what do you think of the wellness world right now? Um, I know that um, a lot of people like it's become this huge growing industry. Um, do you see some of the pitfalls of it in your daily basis, like the business behind it? And what do you think of that? Um, I think that ultimately the fact that people are being encouraged to invest in their overall well-being can only be a good thing. In my own experience, I think that so many of the things that are most beneficial to our overall well-being don't require us to buy any products, follow any particular protocols, um, sign up for any programs. Really, so much of it is about kind of what can you cut out from your life to bring it back to basics, to really just bring it back to things that practices philosophies that help you to really connect back to who am I really underneath all of the conditioning and what do I really love and need in my life? I think that there's a lot of noise in the wellness industry and a lot of people trying to sell us things that we don't necessarily always need. So like I said, I mean, sell us things which could could be beneficial to us. But I think before diving into kind of like consuming more and more and more in the name of wellness, I think that we could all actually benefit from taking a step back and really connecting with ourselves to work out what's actually missing, if anything, um, and what we really truly, truly need to feel better in our lives. I love that perspective and 100% agree with you. So thank you for that. Last question. You and Gabrielle Bernstein are friends. What's it like when you hang out? <laughs> what do you do? Yeah, I want to know. Enough, Gabby, it's so funny. I moved to New York in 2012, the the winter of 2012, and I had actually just discovered Gabby's work and interviewed her for my magazine job back in the UK. 
Um, and a couple of weeks later, found out my husband got posted to New York and so um, got posted, like got a job in New York. And so I reached out to a woman I knew who lived here and was like, hey, we're moving to New York. And the first thing she emailed back was, I have to introduce you to my friend, Gabby Bernstein. You guys are going to have so much in common. <laughs> I was like, that's interesting. I just interviewed her. So, um, yeah, we began hanging out as soon as I moved to the city. And she's actually moved out to Connecticut now. She doesn't live in the city, so we don't really hang out as much as we used to. Um, but it was generally lots of lots of kind of fun brunch dates with our very fashion conscious, quite sarcastic humor husbands <laughs> <laughs> loving each other. Um, and lots of talk about, you know, the latest, well, yeah, the latest kind of like practices, wellness things we were, we were trying out in our lives. Very cool. I'd love to be a fly out. I'd love, I would love to be having brunch beside you and listening to your entire conversation. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, 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 well, I'm actually going to be launching my own podcast soon. So maybe I'll invite Gabby on and we can we can have a, a convo for everyone to hear. Fantastic. When you launch that podcast, let us know. Congratulations on everything. It's been so good talking to you. So great speaking with you. Thanks again. And thank you so much for the vote of confidence about the book. And I love the fact that it sparked those conversations. I do think this is a subject that everybody can relate to. Um, and the more we can talk about it, the better and healthier relationship we can all have with alcohol. Amazing. Ruby, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Ruby Warrington, everybody. Don't you just love her? She's like a, she's like a sober, stylish Mary Poppins. Now, I promised you before that chat uh, that I would be giving you the top five mindful Christmas gifts. It's still at the amount of time where you can get your shit together, okay? Number five on the list, an art-filled outing. Whether you're going to a gallery, you're going to a flea market, an art flea market, something that's just full of art. Just find it. Go to it. Give that as a gift. Give someone that experience. Number four, homemade treats or a craft in general. Two things I'm making the people I love in my life. Nuts and bolts. Actually, I'm not going to lie. I'm on the fence with that because I know if I eat it this week, I'm going to eat all of it. <laughs> so because of my uncontrollable snacking, they might not get that. But I can tell you what they will get. Very badly made ceramics. I decided to take a 10-week pottery course in which I realized that I'm shit at pottery. That being said, well, my family's going to get that stuff because I am certainly not keeping it in my house. Number three on the list, a workout class. You can get some workout classes that are like $30. I'd say that's a good gift. Sure, the person might get offended, but that's their own problem. Number two, a journal. I'm actually looking at mine right now. I just got a new one. It says, stay positive, work hard, make it happen. If you get any of those places, they've got just journals all over the place. I'm talking like the winners, the TJ Maxx, like the Marshalls. They always have really affordable, really good journals. That's where I got this one. And lastly, number one, a plant. Because plants are nice. And they're like, they're like green company. Who doesn't like a plant? Get them one of the like super Pinteresty house plants and you're going to be the best gift giver they know. 
until it dies and, well, that's not your problem. All right, guys. So that is it for today's episode. Remember, I'm going to have one more, one more, coming by the end of the week. And it is going to be the wrap-up of 2018 Mindful Mostly, the end of the season, everything I learned this year, and a check-in with longtime listener Alex King. I'll talk to you then, right here on Mindful Mostly. Mostly.